0: Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and give by clicking the link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an
1: inspiring message.
0: We are standing in your light more than before. So make me your vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me. you yeah.
1: Church, you good? It's good to be with you guys today. Um, I want to celebrate a couple of things before we get going with today's message. I first want to celebrate that Pedro, for the first time at the Chateau Long Campus, pronounced ruach correctly. So let's give it up for Pedro, our senior pastor, man. That Hebrew has been tricky for him, but he pulled it out today twice, 9.15 and 11 o'clock service. So well done, brother. Um, the second thing I want to celebrate this morning is that... Um, we are um, in, a, in a, a series where we've packaged resources for you, uh, ruachtvc.org is where you can find those resources. And so as Pedro just mentioned, we've got um, a prayer focus, we've got a fasting guide, we've got a prayer guide or a, a scripture reading guide for every day during the week. We've got extra resources that are available. And I just want to celebrate the feedback that we're getting from you guys, even though we're only about two full weeks into this series and into those resources and those guides about how impactful this has been for you. I was talking with one individual who um, attends our 915 service and she was sharing with me that on Sunday nights, uh, the past two Sunday nights, her and some friends that go to the church have actually gotten together to process what God's been doing and what God's been revealing uh, throughout this series and as they have dug into the the reading plan and through the prayer and the fasting plan. So I want to encourage you guys to check out uh, Ruach TVC, uh, to, to pray together, to fast together, to read together, and then to take it a next step and then process Uh, what God's been revealing to you throughout this series. Um, And if you want to share that feedback with us, we'd love to hear it because we'd love to hear your story. Um, There's a passage in in the book of Revelation that says, By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, they shall overcome. And so anytime we have the ability to, to speak to what God is doing in our lives, it gives us encouragement and hope about what God can do and what God has promised to do in our lives. So we'd love to hear feedback from you around that. Um, In just a few moments, we're going to jump into our our series, uh, Ruach, but uh, we all know that this Wednesday is kind of the kickoff for our country of what we call holiday season, even though I would debate whether Halloween is a holiday, but it kind of kicks it off. How many of you are excited about Wednesday? Um, You're Not one person. That's awesome. i we need to repent. Okay. But anyway, um, because stats tell us otherwise, some of the students have their hands raised. Stats tell us otherwise. What we will see on Wednesday is an expected and estimated 41 million children who will dress up and go door to door saying trick or treat, 41 million. Now that does not include kids that are over the age of 14, like my oldest daughter who said two weeks ago that she was going to dress up as long as she could get away with looking like a kid. And uh, if you've ever seen my 14-year-old, she still looks like a child. So she's got a few years to go and a few years to go before she's eligible to date until she's 30. Anyway, so it's another. So 41, uh, 41 million people will dress up uh, and go trick-or-treating, but 180 million will dress up in some form or fashion. How many of you adults or those of you that are older beyond uh, trick-or-treating age are planning on dressing up in some form on Wednesday? Go ahead and raise your hand if you're planning on dressing up. Yeah, 180 million people will dress up. And uh, in that number, is included my family a couple of years ago. I don't know where we got this idea. We decided that as a family, we would have like a theme for, Halloween. And so we started dressing up, uh, as a theme together. Um, and then, uh, two years ago was probably my favorite theme. That was the Avengers. And, and partly I just liked that because I thought I looked good as Captain America, you know, and, uh, was a, that was like a legit shield too, that I had to borrow for 24 hours and I didn't want to give it back. Um, yeah. And that was la- that was two years ago. Then last year we decided we were going to be the, the, uh, last Jedi. And so, uh, that's us dressing up. Um, And, uh, yeah, there's actually, my youngest daughter is in that BBA (laughs) costume anyway, so, yeah, and hey, this marks the one-year anniversary of the beard, and so since we're at a one-year mark, thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs up? Thumbs down? Yeah, if you put your thumbs down, we'll talk after the service is over, but anyway, so, yeah, uh, we got that, and so we'll be participating this year. I'd love to show you a preview of um, what we're going to be dressing up as as a theme for this week, but I can't do that. You're going to have to stay connected on social media for for that update uh, to see what we dress up as this year. I can promise you it's going to be pretty pretty good um, and uh, but um as we 're focused on on as a nation dressing up, one of the things that we know is that we honor people that dress up and we honor people that dress up by giving them bags full of candy to the tune of um about six billion dollars that will be spent on candy six billion dollars that will be spent and given out on candy, unless, of course, they're like me, and you buy it a little bit too early, and then you eat it before the kids get there, and then you have to replenish that bunch. And so, not sure how much is actually given out or consumed by the person that bought it, but anyway, $6 billion. We're going to be focused and even like hyper-focused this week on people dressing up. We're going to honor that by giving them treats. And um, and what I want to talk to you about today, as we continue this series called Ruach, is, is how we need to be focused individually on the outfit that we wear every day. N- not just once a year where we dress up in a costume, but how we need to be focused on the clothing that we wear every day. And I'm not talking about you know the, the wardrobe that we literally have on, but spiritually, what outfit, what clothing are we putting on? And what we're going to discover in this series that's designed around understanding the Holy Spirit better is that we have the ability to wear the clothing of Christ, an outfit of Christ, not a costume of Christ. We've got a costume of Christ and what that looks like. We're not talking about that. Um, We're talking about the character of Christ, the character of Christ, putting on Jesus um, every day. And we're gonna talk about how the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do that. What's interesting is that um, from a cultural standpoint, from people that are outside of the Christian faith. And you might be here today, and even though you're in church, you, you might not consider yourself a Christian or a Christ follower, and you're certainly welcome here to, uh, to be here. Um, but one of the challenges that we have culturally is that for people that are outside of the faith, they, they can't really determine who the people are that are inside the faith because we can't distinguish the clothing that Christians are called to wear and the, and the clothing that Christians are actually wearing. Again, I'm not talking about a stylist's wardrobe. I'm talking about the character of who they are. In fact, people that are outside the faith, when they're asked about terms to describe um, Christians, would often use the word hypocrisy and judgmental. Um, those are the two words that were used kind of prevalent by those that are outside the faith to describe those that are inside the faith. And what's interesting, though, is that when you look at Jesus, Jesus was never called Um, uh, 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 the word hypocrite in all of the gospel stories. He was never called that. He called other people hypocrites, but he was never called hypocrite. He he pointed out other people's judgmentalism, but he was never called uh, somebody that was judgmental. Uh, And yet that's the, the way that a lot of the culture identifies us. There's a guy named Ed Stetzer, who up until about a year ago did research for LifeWay, uh, resources. If you're familiar with Lifeway Bookstore down at Mall, Georgia, um, he did all the research for them and was one of their chief editors for all their stuff. A year ago, he decided to step into a, a professor role at a seminary. He's also a great Bible teacher. Uh, but when he was doing his research just uh, two years ago, he, he kind of came up with a new classification that had to be expressed for a person who would claim that they're a Christian. Um, he said that the, that a lot of term, a lot of a way that people would express their faith was was not by using the word Christian because it was less used and less clear by culture. And so a whole new word had to be used uh, to describe that. He said that about 25% of people who said that they were Christians were really only cultural Christians, meaning that they were only using that word as a label so that they wouldn't be labeled something else, like an atheist or an agnostic or a person that wasn't engaged in faith. Uh, There's also about 25% of the people that call themselves Christians that could be labeled as congregational Christians. These are people that simply have an expression of their faith that is directly tied into a loose connection with the church, loose meaning that the attendance at a worship service is is, um, at some level of frequency, sometimes just even two times a year, maybe Christmas Eve and Easter. Um, And then he said that there's only about 25% of the Christians that were surveyed through LifeWay Research Group that he would call convictional Christians. Those who actually orient their lives around the teaching of Jesus and the life and the ministry of Jesus and incorporate that into the center of who they are. And so what we see is that there's even this dilution of the word Christian based on the way that we carry out our life to where Barna Group, who's another research group that researches faith, said just a few years ago that there's hardly any moral distinction between the lifestyle of those that are Christians and those that aren't Christians. When you take a look at major issues of morality, there's very little distinction between that. And so what we want to talk about today is how the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is the help that we need and the power that we need to be able to put on, not the costume, but the character of Christ, and to make Christ attractive in us and through us to this world that so desperately needs us. If you're taking notes, the bottom line for today is that the Holy Spirit makes Jesus recognizable to us and others through us. And we're going to be talking about that today from a book of the Bible called Galatians. If you brought your Bibles or you've got a Bible app, I want to invite you to go to Galatians with me. Um, If you're not familiar with the Bible, the Bible is considered to be one book, but full of a number of different writings by a number of different authors that have one message that is unified by the Spirit of God. And one of those authors that contributes pretty significantly to what we call the New Testament of the Bible is this guy named Paul. And Paul has a really interesting story, because Paul, before he became a Christ follower, he was actually a persecutor of Christians. He actually um, he, he actually had Christians beaten, imprisoned, and he had some that were um, put to death. And then he had a, a powerful encounter with the resurrected Jesus. So, so he experienced a person who had died and then came back to life. And because of that, it transformed him to where instead of persecuting Christians, he, he started planting churches and he would plant churches either directly or indirectly. And then after he was done, he would move on and and help start other churches forming. And one of those churches that he helped start was the the church that was found in a region of the world called Galatia. Galatia is in modern day Turkey. And so this letter that he's writing is actually him writing back to them about some very important issues related to their understanding of God, specifically the major theme of God's grace or the good news of God's grace, and how there can be distortions of what's called the gospel or the good news. And so he was writing back to the Galatians. He was like, don't let people come and and distort the, the message of the good news. That the good news is simply this. God loves you, and there's nothing that you can do on your own to earn God's love or to be made right with God. It has been accomplished in the person and the work of Jesus. And so the good news is not to be distorted or diluted with this idea of prosperity. The the good news is not to be distorted or, or diluted with the idea that um, you have to have other things besides Jesus to be made right in a relationship with God. So he writes this whole letter to them talking about that. And then towards the end of the letter, he starts to say, if you've got this good news, if you've received this good news, then your life is going to look different than it used to look before Jesus entered into your life. And he says that the way we experience that different looking life is through the work of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to take a look at that passage in just a moment, Galatians chapter five, verses sixteen, uh, and following through verse twenty three. But before we do that, I want to point out one thing, and that is that a theme throughout Paul's writings and all of the letters of the Bible is this idea of a uh, new clothing. Uh, this new clothing that comes with Christ, putting on something new. And and just uh, two chapters earlier in verse 27 of chapter three, Paul writes, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Jesus. That if you are a person who says, I'm a Christian or some variation of it, I'm a Christ follower, I follow Christ. If you're a person who's been baptized in the faith, you've come up out of the waters, then your call is to put on Jesus. It is to choose every day what outfit you are going to wear, what character you are going to carry out as the clothing of your life. And then he distinguishes between the two outfits that we get to choose from every day. Listen to this. This is what he says in chapter five, verses 16 and following. But I say, that's Paul, walk by the what? Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the what? Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do in your flesh. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In other words, when you are no longer Bound by sin and held captive to that, but freed by the Spirit, you're no longer forced to choose every day to put on the clothing of the flesh. Listen to this. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. The clothing of the flesh is evident, okay? Here's the the list that he comes up with. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, not like football rivalries between Georgia and Florida, Um, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. What, what Paul's writing about here is that if you're a person who has come to faith in Jesus, you have an option every morning. You have an option Every moment, to clothe yourself in Christ, you've been freed by faith in Jesus to be able to choose a new wardrobe, a new outfit, new clothing, i.e. character for your life. Where previous to Jesus entering into your life, you were bound, you were a slave, to choose this outfit of the flesh. But in Jesus, you have the opportunity to choose an outfit that is fresh. That's kind of the way that I think about it, and I think about it every day. I I can choose the the flesh, or I can choose the fresh. I, I can choose the flesh, which is old, it's stinky, it's worn out, like an old outfit. Or you can choose a new outfit that's fresh, that is of the Spirit, that allows us to look like Jesus in his character. The, the old, the, the flesh, it's, it's pretty obvious. He comes up with a long list. We don't have time to go through the long list. They, those things seem obvious to you, uh, to us. Um, and, and we see them, they're, they're obvious to us in the culture that we live in, in the world that we live in. Uh, just in the short list of, uh, of some things that seemed obvious to me is sexual immorality. I mean, we see that rampant, um, that seems obvious to me. Drunkenness, it seems obvious to those that aren't drunk, maybe not so much to the ones that are. You know, it's not so obvious. Um, that seems obvious. Obvious sorcery, it seems obvious. Everything Harry Potter. No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Like, we like Harry Potter at our house. And actually, sorcery is interesting because it comes from a Greek word, pharmarchy, which is actually where we get our root, our word, pharmacy. So pharma is actually a word that talks about drug use that was used 2,000 years ago to kind of get to a different state of mind to where it's all kinds of spirituality could be experienced. So it actually has nothing to do with Harry Potter and wizards, by the way. Sorcery seems pretty obvious. Impurity it seems pretty obvious to me, although, although this one's kind of hard to detect. Because like, impurity kind of like is a blanket term. For like any time that we are questioning, like, how far can I go? Like, how far can I go to get away with something? That's when we know that we're dealing with the clothing of impurity. The, the outfit of the flesh is where we go, okay, I know there's a right and a wrong line. How close can I get to that line? Where purity would say, okay, there's a right and a wrong. I want to find out how far away I can get from that line. That's impurity. Um, idolatry. I think of all the things that are on the list, this is the one that's the biggest challenge. Because I think that we can put Christian camouflage on idolatry. And and, and an idol is anything that is a false God. Anything that that gives us a false truth. Anything that gives us a, a false idea that those universal longings that we all have can be fulfilled in anything other than a personal relationship with God. And so I just wanted to be pretty transparent with you about my top three like, idols in my life, the things that, that I find myself sometimes kind of stealing what only God can give. Sometimes that I look for for love, I look for for peace, I look for for joy, uh, something that steals like my time, sometimes it steals my treasure, sometimes it steals my talent and my energy that God has given me to use for building up his kingdom. I I just wanted to share three of those things, the top three things on my list, and they might be different for you, but this is why it's really hard to detect because the first one is my family. Like sometimes it's really easy for me to, to make my family an idol in my life. And it's not to say that I don't love my family or that I shouldn't love my family. It's just that I should love Jesus more than I love my family. And that's really hard to say because it sounds weird, doesn't it? I mean, there's something that makes every one of us feel a little uncomfortable when I just said that. Maybe it makes you feel a little uncomfortable when you start to think about that. But I think about like Abraham and Isaac, and I think about how God in the Old Testament wanted to test Abraham's faith by saying, hey, would you sacrifice your son, Isaac? And I go, man, I don't don't know if God called me to do that if I would. Like, I'm just being honest. Just being honest. So, so thank you. Um, so, like, uh, um, so, so, like, my family. Um, when you have to make tough decisions about faith, can you do that over your family? Or do you put decisions about your family over your decisions about faith? Um, Jesus said some really interesting things about your family and the way that you're called to follow him. In fact, the way we translate it in English in one place is that in order to follow me, you must hate. Hate your mother and your father, your brother. That's an interesting phrase. Now, in Hebrew, if you go back and you understand the context, it wasn't as much like the hate that we're talking about where or, or we wish bad upon somebody. It really literally means love less. And, and so what Jesus is saying is if you want to follow me, you got to love less your family and love your faith in me more. It's really interesting. And a lot of us, we get this idea that like if we put Jesus at the top of our priority list and we go, hey, it's God first, then it's family second, that we've got that thing figured out and that family no longer has a temptation to become an idol in our life. But but God doesn't wanna be on our priority list. He wants to be in our priority list. And the way that Jesus is in our priority list is by saying, hey, Jesus, I love you more than I love this thing. And if you can say, Jesus, I love you more than I love this thing, then Jesus is in your priority list. That's the first thing that is a temptation for me to, to make an idol in my life. The second thing that is a temptation, and I'm just being honest, is my kids' activities. Like, my kids love certain things. They love their activities, and maybe that has a temptation for them in their life to become their idol. And it's really easy for my kids' activities to become an idol in my life to where time and treasure and talent, effort and energy is being robbed or stolen away from higher priority in order for us to get all of our kids to their activities and pay for all of our kids' activities so that they can live a life. I'm just being honest. I see that a lot in our culture. And then the last thing for me is UGA football. I'm just saying like, hey, it is. I find myself thinking about that a lot, especially during football season. I, I found myself like spending a lot of money on it for season renewal tickets. You know, I found myself thinking about. It, I've seen my emotions get way out of hand based on the performance of teenagers. Now, I know that God's at work in my life because the emotional range has gotten like, you know, shorter. Like I don't get as high or as low. You know, I don't get as high after a victory over Florida as I used to, and I don't get as low after a loss like you know, two weekends ago. Um, but it's really easy to just see how much, how much is put towards that. I, those are three for me. I don't know what they are for you. But they should become obvious for us When we start to say, hey, do I want to put on old clothing? Do I want to put on clothing of the flesh? Or do I want to put on fresh clothing? Do I want to put on the clothing of Christ? Because that clothing is obvious too. And this is fresh. Compared to the flesh, which just sounds old and stingy and dirty and stinky, like something that we wouldn't want to put on, like an old pair of undergarments. And then we come up with this list, and this, listen to how fresh this list sounds love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self control. Oh, how fresh that sounds! It sounds fresh. And it should be obvious why we would want this. Love that is sacrificial and selfless, like the sacrificial and selfless love of Jesus who died on the cross so that you and I could come into a right relationship with God. Joy. A constant inner gladness gladness, that regardless of circumstances and situation, we're stable and we're constant in. Yeah, we might be happy at moments, we might be sad at moments, but there's something that overrides it all, and that is the gladness of Jesus in our life. Peace, being whole in a fragmented world and fragmented families and fragmented situations, we are made whole in it. And we could just keep going on and on through the Through the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ, that is fresh. And the Holy Spirit makes evident and known the character that we're putting on. And so some of you are like, I get it. Like, I I don't want the the flesh. I want the fresh. I don't want the old. I want the new. I I don't want the, the character of the world. I want the character of Christ. So David, help us, put this on. Here it is. You put on clothes and you put on pants one leg at a time, or you could try to do like I used to do just to prove that saying wrong and try to do it twice, but you know, two in one time. So you do it one leg at a time, and here's how it goes. The first leg is this. The first leg is this, is that we must be made right with God. We must be made right with God. Um, previous to this moment, when Paul's writing, he talks about how we must be justified by faith, justified by faith. That word justified it is a big churchy word. I get it. And so here's what it means. It's just as if you'd never sinned. We've got to be just as if we've never sinned. We've never sinned in the eyes of God. How is that possible? Well, it's possible first through the work of Jesus. When Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross as a substitute for our sins and then came back from the dead defeating sin and death, he gives us that same victory over sin, and over the eternal consequence of death when we receive it by faith. And when we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life, we are made right with God, and God looks at us no longer in our old clothing, but in our new clothing, which is Christ. Jesus actually becomes the the outfit that the Father sees us wearing. Like, He no longer sees us in old. He sees us in new and we have to start there, and here's why. Because when we are made right with God, when, we, when it's just as if we had not sinned, this not only frees us from our slavery to sin and death, but it also gives us a new identity based on how the Father sees us. And then we can press into that new identity to where when we wake up in the morning and we're deciding about the wardrobe of our life and our character, we can decide old or new. We can decide flesh or fresh. We can decide world or God. It's only until we're made right that we can have the freedom to choose to put on Christ. So we've got to be made right with God. The second thing is that we need to kill the clothing of the old self. We've got to get rid of that clothing. Um, I work out uh, a little bit. I try to get in about five days a week uh, here lately. It hasn't been that much. Um, but I, I'm frugal, y'all. I'm like super frugal. And so I don't like to spend money, especially on clothes. Um, but I've got some shirts that I've worked out in so long, that it doesn't matter how many times you run them through the washer, you put them on, the moment you start to sweat, all the stench comes out. It's bad. And so just a couple of weeks ago, I was like, you know what? Like, it doesn't matter how many times I try to wash it and how many times I try to make it new. It's old, it's, it's just, it's stinky. Like, I put them on, and so I've just been throwing them out. We, we've got to get rid of the old clothes. And in spiritual terms, we call this confession of sin. We call this confession of sin. And it's, it's one pant leg of the outfit of Jesus as to where we recognize that there's some things in our life that are obvious obviously of the flesh, and we need to get rid of them. We need to to get get it gone because there's nothing that we can do to make it fresh. Um, How how many of you have had uh, the Joro spider show up at your house? It's a new Japanese spider. I say new because up until about um, five years ago, it, it hasn't been discovered in America. And UGA, I don't know why, but UGA scientists um, identified and validated that about five years ago, the first Joro spider on American soil was identified, and it was identified in this kind of community in this area. Um, this is a Joro. how many of you have a Joro spider at your house? Yeah, how many of you have seventeen like our house? Yeah, how many of you didn't have to decorate for Halloween because you got spider webs all over it? Yeah, yeah, that's my house. Like This could have been taken at my house. Um, And and so here's what, uh, they're beautiful spiders if you you don't mind spiders, right? If you're afraid of spiders, then they're not beautiful, right? I get that. But there are beautiful spiders. So we've kind of tolerated them except for one. There's one that when you walk out of my front door is there on the kind of overhang. And I've done my best to try to get him to go somewhere else. Like, I've done everything. I detached the web from, like, the bottom base so that it kind of, like, floats back up. And, like, I was like, ha-ha, the irony. Like, your web is, like, <laughs> you know, I'm like... But anyway, and then I come back the next morning, and it's, it's back. And, the, and it's, like, golder than ever, you know? I'm like, what is going on with this? And, like, day after day after day after day. You know the only way to get rid of the spider web is to get rid of the spider. And we spend so much time, like, oh, there's old... There's some sin over there. Oh, it's really tempting to put it on. And as long as it's sitting there and not thrown out, it's gonna be a temptation for us. We need to stop trying to clean up the spider webs. We need to kill the spider. We need to stop trying to deal with sin uh, to where it's a temptation to us. And we just need to kill the sin. Because if we don't kill sin, it will kill us. If you don't kill those drawer spiders, they will kill. No, I'm just... Confession is killing sin in us. It's it's getting rid of the old. And here's what confession looks like, at least for me, every morning with my journal. God, is there anything over the last 24 hours that was not in alignment with you? Last 24 hours, is there anything that's not in alignment for you? And, and when God starts to reveal the spider web, when God starts to reveal the thing that is obvious, and then I ask God why? Like what's the sin? What's the root? What's the spider? What's the, what's, what's the thing that I need to get rid of? And it's always rooted in a lie. A lie about who God is or a lie about who I am. And, and when, I, when, when God reveals that lie to me, then I'm able to say, well, God, what is the truth? What is the truth about who you are? What is the truth about who I am? And when you go through that exercise, maybe on a daily basis, where you go, what's in the last 24 hours? What's some old? What's some kind of web? And and, and Why? And what's the truth? You will see that less things become obvious in your life. Less things become evident that are on that list. And then that allows you to put on the other leg. And the other leg is to walk by the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit. Did, did you notice what Paul wrote there? The key to taking on the character of Christ and to having this fruit of the Spirit in our life is to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. And, um, this is not a side by side, like arm in arm walking with the Spirit. In fact, the word walk there is a military term that was used in Greek culture. It's a military term. And, and what that means is to not walk side by side, but to walk in step with the commands and the instruction and the guidance of the Spirit. To when the Holy Spirit gives us the command to stop, we stop. When the Holy Spirit uh, tells us to do an about face, we do an about face. When the Holy Spirit tells us to start marching, we start marching. And when the Holy Spirit tells us to pick up the pace, we pick up the pace. When the Holy Spirit tells us to chant something, we chant something. Maybe not chant something, but say something, we say something. Where we would just march by the instructions of the Holy Spirit. And here's how easy it is to get instructions from the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? It's just that simple. And every morning, every morning, We have the opportunity every morning to say, Jesus, I want to put on your clothing today. I want to put on this new identity. I'm made right with you. Is there anything of the old that needs to get rid of? And what's the fresh? Holy Spirit, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? And not only can you do that every morning, you can do that moment by moment by moment. And I had a, an illustration that, um, that I was going to close with today that was not not very personal at all, um, but but something interrupted kind of my life on Friday, and that was that I did a memorial service for a woman who passed away in our church uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and her family um, wanted to do a memorial service on Friday, Friday afternoon, um, and um, and the plan was to, to have a moment of gathering before, then have the service. And then my plan was to get out, uh, to take, uh, to pick up my son for an appointment that he had um, and to get out of here. Uh, but I got asked a question that interrupted, interrupted schedule. And that's often how life works, right? And it was, hey, do you have a moment to talk? Do you have a moment to talk? And I didn't know, listen, for a pastor who's heard a bazillion different, like, hey, do you have a moment to talk? Like, I mean, that kind of freaks me out, just to be honest with y'all. I'm like, oh, what am I gonna hear now? You know? And uh, so I was like, yeah, let's sit down. And so we sat down. And I wasn't expecting what what came out. And I won't go into details. It was just not what I was expecting. But what I've come to expect is that if I'll ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? That the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. It's just that simple. And so you know what we ended up talking about? And it wasn't it had nothing to do with this sermon or this message today, but we talked about the things that we should be looking for and the things that Jesus came to give us, which was love, joy, and peace. And I, I could have kept going on with the rest of the fruit of the Spirit, but we just hung out with love, joy, and peace. And we just talked about that anything that tries to take that away from our life is not of God. And so we press into how we can experience that in life. And it was a beautiful conversation. And, and what's cool is that while I was having that conversation, another person that was there that absolutely loved, she was asking God the same question. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say? And so I was done with this question or this conversation and then up comes that woman and has another conversation with that woman who had prompted the conversation with me. All when we say, Holy Spirit, what are my marching orders? Holy Spirit, where do you want me to go? Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say? when you've been made right with God, the Holy Spirit will speak to you because He dwells in you. And He wants you to look like Jesus. And you know what? The world needs you to look like Jesus.